Reverend Billy here from the Church of Stop Shopping, preaching for the earth today if we can. Planet Earth is calling. Planet Earth calling to the faraway towns. No time to be human-centered right now. No, we know what's going down. Reach down inside your soul, past the nationalism, past the human soap opera, and find the thing in yourself that would say that it doesn't make sense for you and I to say, let's save our nation. If the earth at the same time is saying, let's save life, the planet earth is involved in an extinction episode. That's right, the sixth extinction. And this is an evolutionary struggle. We have been told by the earth cultures, the Lakota Sioux, Deborah Whiteplume said, the earth is in an uprising and we will have a certain amount of time as human beings to join the earth in that evolution. But then the window will shut, the door will close, and it will be too late. We don't have time to have this invasion of the capital by a bunch of crazy people be our next 9-11. Okay, all right. The airplanes went into the towers, and the crazy trumpets went into the House of Representatives and the Senate. Well, okay, okay. All right, hallelujah. Execute the mad king. Get it over with. But don't go back to that American addiction of punishment. And don't make up our version of the Patriot Act and our version of the war in Afghanistan. No, we don't have time for that. The wildfire says we don't have time for that. The tornadoes and hurricanes say we don't have time for that. The pandemic says we don't have time for that. The earth is saying we're moving on now. Do you want to do it with me? Holy place, I hear a lot about the holy place, the sacred place that's been violated, the desecration. The holy place is the earth. Listen to me. Planet Earth is calling out to us. No time to turn our tragedies into the entertainment industry. No time to turn this invasion of this holy place into another 9-11. No. Join the earth in this struggle to survive, the only way to change your life is to change how you live. Planet Earth calling to the faraway towns. Let's survive. Earth Alleluia.
I won't take up any more of your time, and I'd now like to give the floor to the Secretary-General of the United Nations, Antonio Guterres. 2021 must be the year to reconcile humanity with nature. Until now, we have been destroying our planet. We have been abusing it as if we had a spare one. Our current resource use requires almost two planets, but we only have one. If we compare Earth's history to a calendar year, we have used one-third of its natural resources in the last 0.2 seconds. We have been poisoning air, land and water, and filling oceans with plastic. And now nature is striking back. Temperatures are reaching record highs, biodiversity is collapsing, deserts are spreading, fire, floods and hurricanes are more frequent and extreme, and we are extremely fragile. Meanwhile, COVID-19 has taken more than 1.8 million lives and devastated economies. And for the first time in this century, poverty is increasing and inequalities are deepening. And as we rebuild, we cannot revert to the old normal. Pandemic recovery is our chance to change course. With smart policies and the right investments, we can chart a path that brings health to all, revives economies, and builds resilience and rescues biodiversity. Innovations in energy and transport can see a sustainable recovery and economic and social transformation. And nature-based solutions, such as the Africa's Great Green Wall, are especially promising. Preserving the world's biodiversity also yields jobs. According to the World Economic Forum, emerging business opportunities across nature would create 191 million jobs by 2030. But the world has not met any of the global biodiversity targets set for 2020, and biodiversity is facing a financial gap of 711 billion US dollars per year until 2030. Sustainable financing is essential if you are to transition away from polluting sectors. Our meeting in Kuning, the COP in China this year, is a vital step in establishing a post-2020 global framework for biodiversity and stopping the extinction of crisis.
I always come back to forests. I don't know why. I live in the center of 25 million people. I had some forests around me when I was a kid in the Midwest. Maybe that's it. That was decades ago. There's a park near my house. It has a forest. Old, old trees. I go in there. I sit down on the roots and I look back at my life and then my family and my my business and my neighbors and the rumors and the illnesses and the orgasms. And Freeways, skyscrapers. I look back at it all and have this distance. It's a good distance. I don't know where it comes from. I wouldn't claim that I'm sitting back there in my childhood anymore. I think it has something to do with the fact that it's that it that it's a, that it's a forest. It's a forest. And if if I had. Ten thousand little microphones all over my body. Every microphone would be carrying another tune because if you're immersed in a forest, there's life everywhere, and that I think gives me a distance. Sometimes I have to sit there for a long time. Sometimes until I almost have to freeze to death in the winter. But it comes to me. The forest comes to me. Some, some, something. The waves of music from all the life around me. Even when it's snowing. Even when it's dark. I need that distance on that city. Welcome to News from the Natural World. I'm Savitri D. Two children with lung cancer in Japan acquired the tumor cells from their mothers during or shortly before birth, an incredibly rare way of developing the disease. The first boy was diagnosed with lung cancer at 23 months old, while the second boy was six years old when he developed chest pain, leading doctors to discover a tumor in his left lung. 
Both mothers turned out to have cervical cancer. The mother of the first boy was diagnosed three months after the birth, and the mother of the second boy was diagnosed following delivery. Analysis showed the boy's tumors had genetic mutations that matched those in the cancers of their mothers. The future may be too warm for baby sharks. As climate change causes the world's oceans to warm, baby sharks are born smaller, exhausted, undernourished, and into environments that are already difficult for them to survive in. Since sharks don't care for their eggs after they are laid, a shark egg must be able to survive unprotected for up to four months. Scientists flag rising ocean temperatures as a major concern for the future of all sharks, both egg-laying and live-bearing species. Households in Europe and North America are flooding the oceans with plastic pollution by washing their clothes, scientists said. Research found the majority of microplastics in Arctic seawater were polyester fibers. These tiny plastic particles have been discovered inside fish in the deepest recesses of the ocean, the Mariana Trench, peppering Arctic sea ice and blanketing the snows on the Pyrenees Mountains between France and Spain. Researchers sampled seawater from across the Arctic and found synthetic fibers made up around 92% of microplastic pollution. Of this, around 73% was found to be polyester, resembling the dimensions and chemical identities of synthetic textiles, particularly clothing. Researchers have used ancient crystals from eroded rocks found in stream sediments in Greenland to successfully test the theory that portions of Earth's ancient crust acted as seeds from which later generations of crust grew. The findings not only advance an understanding of the production of the Earth's crust through deep time, along with its structure and composition, but reveal a planet-wide crustal growth spurt three billion years ago when mantle temperatures peaked. The research used the chemistry of old crystals preserved within stream sediments in Arctic Greenland to test the idea that portions of ancient crust served as seeds for later growth of continents. Researchers have evidence of a huntsman spider living in a northeastern part of Madagascar creating a trap for tree frogs. The group describes their observation of the spider pulling a dead frog into what appeared to be a custom-made leaf trap. Huntsman spiders are named for their hunting behavior, by contrast with spiders that spin webs to catch their food. Huntsman spiders kill their prey by biting and injecting victims with venom. In this new effort, the researchers have found a type of huntsman spider that appears to create traps for amphibians, making them easier to catch. Against a backdrop of long-term rises in temperature in recent decades, California has seen ever higher spikes in seasonal wildfires, and in the last two years, a string of disastrous record-setting blazes. This has led scientists, politicians, and media to ponder what role might warming climate be playing in the fires. A new study comes through the many factors that can promote wildfire, and concludes that in many, though not all, cases, warming climate is the decisive driver. The study finds in particular that the huge summer forest fires that have raked the North Coast and Sierra Nevada regions recently have a strong connection to arid ground conditions brought on by increasing heat. It suggests that wildfires could grow exponentially in the next 40 years as temperatures continue to rise. Catatumbo Bari National Park protects unique remote rainforests in northeastern Colombia. Satellite data shows the park lost 6.2 of its tree cover between 2001 and 2019, with several months of unusually high deforestation in 2020. 
Sources say illegal coca cultivation is rapidly expanding in and around Katatumbobari and is driving deforestation as farmers move in and clear forests to grow the illicit crop, which is used to make cocaine. Area residents say armed groups are controlling the trade of coca in and out of the region and are largely operating in an atmosphere of impunity. Wetter and warmer climate accelerate mechanical rock weathering, according to new research. Findings reveal new links between climate and the breakdown of rocks, which affects the global carbon cycle, the movement of carbon between the ocean's atmosphere and crust over geologic timescales. By listening over years for telltale sounds of cracking inside boulders, researchers found that higher temperature and moister air corresponded to higher rates of fracture growth in the rocks. At the highly anticipated auction of gas and oil leases in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, only half of the oil and gas leases offered for sale received bids, and all but two of those came from the state of Alaska itself. Only two companies, neither of them major oil producers, made bids to acquire 10-year rights to explore and drill for oil on two tracks totaling about 75,000 acres. A state-owned economic development corporation offering the minimum of $25 an acre was the sole bidder on the other tracks, totaling about half a million acres. The rights to another 400,000 acres remain unsold. Once billed as a potential windfall that, over time, could bring in close to a billion dollars for the federal treasury, in all, the sale netted less than $15 million, with half of that going to the state of Alaska. Six rangers in Virunga National Park, one of the last refuges of the endangered mountain gorilla, have been ambushed and killed by armed assailants, the second such deadly attack in the park within the past 12 months. It is less than a year since a brutal attack by armed militia left 17 people dead in Virunga, including 13 park staff. Achieved against a backdrop of civil war, unrest, and social deprivation, the recovery of these great apes is one of the conservation world's greatest success stories. But this success has come at huge personal cost to the rangers, whose bravery, selflessness, and commitment has often been the only thing standing between the gorillas and extinction. In activist news, hundreds of activists have disrupted construction of the controversial Enbridge Three pipeline in northern Minnesota. Indigenous groups from White Earth and Red Lake Nations are calling on water protectors from around the world to join them in fighting the Canadian Tar Sands Pipeline, which will cross and disrupt hundreds of creeks, streams, and rivers in its southern path. And now, the sounds of extinction. African leopards inhabit a wide range of habitats within Africa, from mountainous forests to grasslands and savannas, excluding only extremely sandy desert. The African leopard once inhabited most of sub-Saharan Africa, occupying both rainforest and arid desert habitats. It lived in all habitats with annual rainfall above two inches, and it can penetrate areas with less than this amount of rainfall along river courses. Leopards are highly territorial, solitary creatures. Males are night hunters and 50% bigger than females who are active from dawn through mid-morning, and again, around dusk. Leopards will consume pretty much anything, from antelope and baboons down to lizards, birds, rodents, and dung beetles. The rate of infanticide among leopards is quite high. As many as four in 10 leopard cub deaths occur at the mouths of adult males, who by destroying any small leopards they encounter may stimulate fertility in local females. A leopard hunts silently and surreptitiously and will often guard its kill from competing meat-eaters in trees, 
using the massive muscles of its chest, shoulders, and neck to haul a carcass into a tree. They are incredibly strong and agile. There are records of leopards taking up a black baby rhino and a young giraffe into a tree. Throughout Africa, the major threats to leopards are the wild animal trade, habitat conversion, and intense persecution, especially in retribution for real and perceived livestock loss. And now, the sound of the African leopard. This is Reverend Billy again for the Church of Stop Shopping, the singers, the activists. What do we believe in? Some people ask. Well, let's have a prayer. We believe in the God that people who don't believe in God believe in. We believe in earth action, Gaia, Holy Spirit, life, amazing life. What is it? Nobody ever explained it. Earth, hallelujah. Earth, hallelujah, you call to us with our racist, rapist America. You call to us to sustain our earth action. Give us the power to sustain our actions. We want to fly to the refinery. Keep it in the ground. Love the forests. Stop the spraying. Love the wetlands. Help the native earth people who love their life, their land, their spirit. They teach us. We know extinction is upon us and America has no idea how to cry emergency. We can't stop the money, the cars, the bombers, apex predator. Walls will fall on us. Heart attacks and viruses will fill our bodies. Earth Alluia, you will call us back to the compost of life all through whatever happens. Sustain us in our earth action. We're ready to risk life for life. Earth Alluia. And now it's time to say goodbye and thank you. Many people contributed to this Earth Church. First of all, Gregory Corbino, our maestro on the Earthalluya course at the top of the show. And then we'd like to thank Antonio Guterres, the Secretary General of the United Nations, for your wonderful speech. That forest 
at night, peace. The music came to us from the fiery eagles of justice. This Earth Church's editor and co-producer was the man on the saxophone, Jason Candler. And the mad chops on the skins, none other than Brendan Burke. Savitri D., the director of the Church of Stop Shopping, is our voice from the news of the natural world, and she introduced the African leopard. Neil Young helped us develop this piece over the last couple years, and it is posted live linked to his newspaper, The Times Contrarian, which is a part of the Neil Young archives, his big jukebox in the sky. And finally, Pantheon Podcasts. Christian and Peter send us out to 50 podcast networks every week. Thank you very much. Thank you to all of you. If you'd like to reach us, revbilly.com. We'd love to hear from you. Earthalooyah. <laughs>